Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, May 23rd, 2022. On the show today, it's news, listener questions, and so much Genie Plus. Then in our main segment, Jim wraps up the history of how Honey, I Shrunk the Kids influenced Disney theme parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says we should all pitch in to rescue Twitter by putting on the greatest talent show this town has ever seen. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's true, Len. I've got a virtual barn. Let's do the show in there. And, you know, I'm sure if we raise all sorts of Bitcoin. Oh, wait a minute. No, hang on. <laughs> Maybe not that. Maybe not that. Okay. I was thinking if we do this during the holiday season and our subplot is that a kind at heart but somewhat jaded city dweller goes to their small town mm. to discover the true meaning of Christmas, we can have both the talent show and our own Hallmark holiday Ooh. that we sell over and over again. Yeah, I know. Always thinking, Jim. Okay. Always okay. Uh, <laughs> one quick Twitter-related aside here. When the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph was in development, there was originally a scene at the end where Ralph had to cross the entire internet at breakneck speed in order to rescue Vanellope. And it was like, well, how am I going to get there? I got to cross the entire internet. And it was literally the Twitter bird showed up. And it was like, <laughs> and there's Actually, if you, you get the uh, the art of Wreck-It Ralph, there's actually an image in there of Ralph on the back of the Twitter bird hanging on for dear life as he flies across the internet. Oh, my God. And if, if they're not using as the background music for that, the never-ending story song. <laughs> yes, there we go. It will have been an opportunity lost. That it, that it will. That it will. Awesome. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Phil in the fam, Matt Bibb, and Lisa, the Elvis fanatic Lancaster. And longtime subscribers, Jeremy Inman, David Leeds, and Paul Curry. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who work behind the scenes to make sure that every Epcot guest has the appropriate immigration forms on their My Disney Experience account as they walk from country to country in World Showcase. They say that while countries like Norway have gone all digital in their passports, other countries still require stamps. And that's why all of these cast members wear eight-arm Ursula costumes to work every day, Jim, and for no other reason at all. <laughs> True story. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this is why you come here, folks, to get these behind-the-scenes stories. It's you don't behind-the-scenes things on how things really work. Exactly. You don't you get this go. anywhere else. That's you don't. True. You don't. Also, Jim, before we get started, I wanted to do a quick shout out to one of our listeners. This is from Hugh to his wife, Lucy, on her 40th birthday. Lucy, may space always be in your mind. <laughs> All right, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, first uh, bit of news. Disney's announced that Guardians of the Galaxy will start uh, with virtual queues this week when it officially opens. Virtual queue drops will be at 7 a.m., 1 p.m., and then a special drop, I believe, at 6 p.m. for extended evening hour guests. So, Jim, the 7 a.m., the 1 p.m. thing are pretty standard. Mm -hmm. The 6 p.m. thing is kind of new. What do you make of that just for uh, – extended evening hours guests. We've seen this recently with the introduction of brand new attractions, the whole virtual queue thing. I still just view this whole situation with so much trepidation. Yeah. I think you and I both know, given what's been going online, the number of people who keep mentioning over and over again that going to Disney World has gotten too complicated. Oh, yeah. It's the two things together. It's mm. the, the the complication of the new system. Mm -hmm. And it's the fact that it costs money. People will put up with a lot yeah. for free. Mm -hmm. They will not put up with a lot when things cost money. Absolutely. Right. So The um, the other thing that came out of uh, Epcot's uh, Genie Plus news is that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will move to Genie Plus mm -hmm. as of May 31st. So Guardians of the Galaxy and Frozen will be Epcot's two individual Lightning Lane attractions. Jim, but the big news mm -hmm. out of Disney yesterday was that Genie Plus will only be sold on day of visits now, not in advance. So you can't sign up for it in advance. And let me just say what the, the practical impact of this mm -hmm. is, is this. Number one, now you have to stay up till midnight mm -hmm. every day of your vacation to sign up for Genie Plus because Disney said now that Genie Plus reservation, Genie Plus users can be capped. Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to sign up for it at midnight in order to ensure that you have access to Genie Plus. And then six hours and 55 minutes later, you have to wake up again to start making those Genie Plus reservations or all the good ones will be gone mm. by the time you start. 
Jim, uh, I love the fact that Disney is guaranteeing you that you will not get more than seven, uh, six and a half hours consecutive of sleep mm-hmm. on your vacation. That to me uh, seems like it's guest centered. You? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is much better than FastPass Plus. Yeah, <laughs> right. but Jim, I think I think this announcement, these modifications, these rules, says mm-hmm. three things. Um, first thing is Genie, the itinerary app, has failed. Um, specifically, it's failed to move crowds to lesser used attractions the way that Free Pass FastPass did. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, going back to it, is money. Right, people who are paying sixty dollars for Family Four mm-hmm. to use Genie Plus. Expect to use Genie Plus on the most popular rides in the park. They don't think it's a good value to use it on things like Mad Tea Party, mm-hmm. right? Instead of Big Thunder Mountain. Mm-hmm. And when there's no availability for the top rides, they get upset, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. That yep. makes sense. Absolutely. It's also an admission, I think, Jim, and I'd love your take on this, is that the parks haven't built enough new high-capacity popular attractions. So I haven't done the math, but I think the studios has less ride capacity now than it did 20 years ago. And let's all remember, you know, I know Guardians of the Galaxy is opening and mm-hmm. Remy's opening, mm-hmm. but Epcot didn't build an entirely new ride for over 15 years. And having two mm-hmm. uh, is not make up for that. No, no. What is, what's your take on that? There was this attitude coming out of Burbank to the effect of Disney World is the place you take money out of. That it literally was the bank. People came to Florida. They spent big bucks. You took the money out. You you know you spent it in California. Or you spent it on movies. It was a cash cow. That, yeah. That's it exactly. And but the whole notion of having neglected the parks for so long, and now to introduce this whole new reservation system, the whole thing broke. And now, how do you walk this back? We're going to talk about that because, I mean, Disney's sending out some really interesting surveys now um, directly asking people what their opinion is of Genie Plus versus Universal Express Pass. Okay. And I think the results of that are going to be illuminating to Disney. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that they haven't built enough ride capacity. The third thing I think that that is the issue here, and we've talked about this on a couple of other shows, Mm -hmm. but... There's an incredible amount of downtime in the parks each day Mm -hmm. at its most popular rides. So let me give you an example here. Frozen averages over an hour of downtime per day Mm -hmm. at Epcot. Remy averages over an hour of downtime per day. Spaceship Earth averages over an hour of downtime per day. Test Track, more than 90 minutes of downtime per day. Even Journey into Imagination averages nearly 30 minutes of downtime per day. <sighs> All of these rides are running at 100% of capacity already, again, because they did not build enough mm-hmm. ride capacity over the last 15 years mm-hmm. to make up for increased crowds. Mm-hmm. So they're already running at 100% of capacity. When these rides break down, mm-hmm. it does two things. One, the people who had Genie Plus reservations can use those Genie Plus reservations on another ride. Mm-hmm. But the ri- other rides are already running at 100% of capacity, and they can't make room for those people. So what happens is the standby line gets longer. Mm-hmm. The second issue that you run into there is is one of substitution. Mm-hmm. If you really wanted to go on Frozen, or you really wanted to go on Test Track, and they break down, mm-hmm. you're not going to accept the Disney Pixar short film festival no. as a substitute when you're paying $15. You're just not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The other issue is it's at, at, at the studios, right? So we mentioned that I think the studios has less capacity now mm-hmm. than it did 20 years ago. And that's compounded when you look at the downtime. Mm-hmm. Rise of the Resistance is down two hours a day. Rock and Roller Coaster is down 80 minutes a day. Runaway Railroad is down 45 minutes a day. Slinky Dog is down 30 minutes a day. Even Tower of Terror, which is running at reduced capacity, is down 30 minutes a day. Again, that park only has like what eleven attractions, mm. and five of them aren't reliable. <laughs> it's just there's just not enough capacity to make up for it when things go down. This makes my heart hurt, especially the Walt Disney World scenario. This is the place that the family saves for for years to do that yeah. once in a lifetime vacation, and now it's like okay, before you begin your vacation. Do you understand algebra? Yeah. No, it's it's true. I was uh, I was meeting with some kids from Furman University mm-hmm. in South Carolina yesterday, um, mm-hmm. and they're in town for three weeks mm-hmm. as part of a a semester project called Math and the Mouse. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they all mentioned when they were in Epcot the day before mm-hmm. was that they not only had to figure out like what rides they wanted to go on in which order, but uh, the kids were doing a simulated touring plan, like build your own type thing. Mm-hmm. 
So not only did they have to take into account things like walking distance between the rides, the popularity of the rides, but they realized halfway through, like everyone's initial step was to go to test track, mm. but in the first thing in the morning, but test track was down. So they were, they were like, well, do we go to frozen knowing that frozen might be down mm-hmm. or do we do something else? Right. And these are students who were prepared ahead of time mm-hmm. studying this exact topic. Imagine a regular guest oh. who doesn't know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. I agree. I agree. The other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, the Magic Kingdom has a lot more rides. Mm -hmm. So you would think that there would be more Genie Plus capacity there. And and to an extent, there is. Mm -hmm. But there's still a significant amount of downtime there. Splash Mountain averages 75 minutes a day. Big Thunder, an hour a day. Pooh, 50 minutes a day. Pirates, 45. Space Mountain, 40. Haunted Mansion, 30. Seven Dwarfs, 30. Peter Pan, 25. Astro Orbiter, 25. Barnstormer. 25. Like that's a lot of lost capacity. It's tens of thousands of riders. And again, they haven't invested in ride capacity. So every time this happens, it's just another thing that makes guests mad. And forget the standby lines, Mm -hmm. right? Because when Rise of the Resistance goes down, no one in the standby line is getting on. Because we know from what we've seen from Disney that when Rise of the Resistance comes back up, the cast members are taking up to 99 guests from the lightning lane for every one guest that they're taking from the standby line. So if Rise of the Resistance capacity is 1,500 guests an hour, if there are are 30 people ahead of you in line for the standby line, that's two hours, Jim. Mm. 30 people in line is a two-hour wait. It's incredible. (laughs) The other thing that concerns me here, Len, is Genie Plus debuted on October 19th of last year. And these changes that are going into place on June 9th. Yeah, this is eight months later. Eight months. This is crisis mode. Yeah. I'm struggling to think of any other program that Disney walked out that they are walking away from like this or, you know. No, these are, these are huge changes. Limiting access to Genie Plus uh, is a tacit admission that they don't have enough ride capacity. They don't have enough ride capacity for the rides that people want to go on. And that's the issue there. And I don't, I mean, what are, what are their alternatives though? They can, they can increase the price, but all that does is raise the stakes, yeah, yeah. right? And I think they would have raised the price, mm-hmm. but the downtime issue prevented them from doing that. Because normally you raise the price, fewer people will buy into Genie Plus. Mm-hmm. But those people who paid more now expect more. And Disney knows that they can't deliver more mm-hmm. because of downtime. And that's why I think they're limiting Genie Plus. I mean, seriously, if you just raise the price of this thing, it means that the the person who's at the counter, you know, it's <laughs> just going to be more mad. <laughs> well, yeah, thing is, yeah. Instead of two veins throbbing in his forehead, it's going to be three. Yeah, three. Exactly. All right. So that's uh, that's that. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I, I don't think by any stretch, Jim, that this is the last set of changes that we'll see to Genie Plus. Heartbreaker. Okay. All right. A quick couple of surveys. We got one from Bubbles. Mm-hmm. It's a Disney survey. Two interesting uh, questions here related to what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. One of the questions is this. You may have already mentioned this, but which of the following, if any, are influencing your plan to visit a universal park instead of a Walt Disney World theme park? Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the specific answers here is other theme parks have a better way for me to skip the lines, e.g. Universal Express. And Bubbles actually checked that one. Again, Disney knows that there's an issue, Jim. Wow. The uh, the other uh, things that Bubbles checked in this one was uh, Disney park passes limit my flexibility mm-hmm. or require too much effort or accommodations offered a benefit or incentive to visit a universal theme park. And again, if you stay at a deluxe resort at Universal, you get Universal Express automatically. Also, the other thing that Bubbles checked was Universal doesn't require advanced reservations. Wow. Yeah. The fact that those questions, something that naked, that raw. That, yeah. Like, <laughs> I know. It's beautiful. The interesting thing is there's a follow-up question on that, mm. and it's uh, uh, Disney asks, mm. during your upcoming stay at a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel, mm. why do you plan to visit a Universal theme park in addition mm-hmm. to Walt Disney World? And Bubbles wrote this. Mm. Universal's Express Pass is, in our opinion, superior to Genie Plus and Lightning Lane in every possible way. It gives me the flexibility I want, and there's no need to wake up at 7 a.m. or be glued to my phone all day, hoping for an availability drop. Oh, bubbles! Oh, (laughs) that is that is the most the the thing about the thing about giving feedback, Jim, is you want to be as succinct 
and as clear as possible. And I don't know the bubbles could have done any better than that. Oh. That is a beautiful piece of feedback oh. right there. We have to get this woman a, a fruit basket right now. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hello, Harry and David. There we go. <laughs> no, seriously. It's great, great survey. Thank you for sending it in, Bubbles. I oh, wow. Thank you. All right. We have time for a couple of listener questions, Jim. First one from Matt. Mm-hmm. At a recent Disney trip, I noticed during Harmonious and Enchantment that the volume levels were incredibly high. Mm-hmm. At one point, they were blasting music so loudly, I could barely hear the melody of what was playing. I had a similar experience at the Frozen sing-along in Hollywood Studios. Have you received any feedback on perceived noise levels in the park over time? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how noise pollution could impact guest health and safety. I think, Jim, um, I've experienced the same thing. Like when I was at the Disney Enchantment dessert party in the Magic Kingdom, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I thought was that the music was so loud that it was actually distorted. Mm -hmm. So like Matt, I really couldn't recognize – not only couldn't I I understand the words that were being sung, Mm -hmm. I couldn't recognize the melody of the music as well. Mm Why do you think Disney's doing this, Jim? I mean, we're all just getting older and we all listened to too much heavy metal when we were growing up. <laughs> well, you know, I damn white snake doing it to me again. <laughs> At this point in life, there were so many times where it's like, can I turn on the closed captioning? And then, no, this is real life. There is no closed captioning. So, quick aside here yeah. Hannah and I went to see Stevie Nicks in Washington State over the weekend. And, and Stevie Nicks can still sing. And I love Stevie Nicks. It was oh. great. But um, during one of the on-camera moments, mm-hmm. we saw that Stevie Nicks has a teleprompter to get her through the lyrics. And let me say, Stevie Nicks can still sing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%, no, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And we've all heard Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac songs for the last you know 30 years of our lives or whatever. We, can, mm-hmm. we all know most of the words. But there are times, Jim, where even I couldn't remember you know, all of the words to Gold Dust Woman or whatever. And I'm like, so when I saw Stevie with the teleprompter, I'm like, you and me both, honey. <laughs> like, like, could, you, could you make that face this way? Because I would love to sing along. <laughs> on a parallel track to this, Josh Gad was on Good Morning America earlier this week. But he was telling the story they recently did a tribute at Carnegie Hall to uh, Bobby and Kristen Anderson Lopez, oh, the folks who wrote yeah, yeah. The, the music for Frozen. And so he talked about the moment where they decide they're going to get the full cast on stage and everybody's going to sing Let It Go. And, and Josh is like, this isn't my song. I don't know the words. so He doesn't know the words to Let It Go. Look, if you want somebody to sing In Summer, I, I'm Olaf. I know that song. But he was talking about the, all right, so it's time. Everybody's going to sing Let It Go on stage. And it turns out that Josh is the only one with a working mic. <laughs> God, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> like, I, I I may have actually had dreams about this. Well, there, there you go. So he's, I, I'm up on the mountain at nice and it's, it's nice and, you know, just. Exactly. Start <laughs> Josh Gad invents mumblecore. There we go. (laughs) So I think Josh would have paid good money for a closed captioning system at Carnegie Hall that night. You know that's going to be in his next contract writer. There we go. Right there. And by the way, need a sheet of lyrics. There we go. All right. uh, Last uh, question from Greg in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a Disney Parks fan ever since working Disneyland guest relations in my college days, mm-hmm. on my last trip to Walt Disney World, I was truly disappointed with the cumbersome and frustrating nature of Genie, Genie Plus, and Lightning Lane. Like so many people before me, the amount of homework that went into my vacation just seemed not worth it. Mm-hmm. As I was staring at my phone like everyone else, it 100% makes me question if I really want to go back anytime soon. As you know, Ooh. Universal Orlando <laughs> <laughs> offers the express passes. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> this got me wondering, would Disney benefit from something similar, mm-hmm. offering unlimited access to Lightning Lanes only for those high-spending guests as mm-hmm. a park? I know it would anger some hardcore Disney fans, but at least it would eliminate all the confusion and frustration mm-hmm. with dealing with ride reservations times and so on. So, Jim, what do you think? So, right now, Disney has vastly more hotel rooms than Universal does. Oh, um, no and doubt. I think it's got, what, like 9,000, 8,500, 9,000 deluxe rooms? Yeah. The- yeah, it, it could do that. Mm-hmm. And then... Let's put it this way. A tiered system based on the hotel that you stay at mm-hmm. is something that Disney has been thinking about going back to the earliest concepts oh, yeah. for FastPass Plus. Yeah. It's part of the FastPass Plus deck mm-hmm. that the board of directors saw. But Jim, what do you think about this possibility? Just the fact that somebody who worked in guest relations, if there's going to be a true believer, it's Greg. Yeah. And it, yeah. again, the same thing to the effect of just using words like truly disappointed and cumbersome and frustrating. 
can you ever come back from doing that? Can you ever come back from the notion of, oh, are you you staying at one of our super deluxe hotels? And then if not, yeah. you know, get in line with the rest of the rabble. Yeah. That's a bad And that's message. tough because, I mean, they could do it for deluxe resorts, but I mean, the moderate resorts, mm-hmm. I think, get up to be, you know, 400-ish dollars a night mm-hmm. during peak season. Yeah. And that's a lot of money to tell people, no, I'm sorry, you didn't pay enough. Yeah, yeah. Face it, Walt Disney World, the bill has come due. I know that it wasn't their fault that there was a pandemic and and now there's all this pent-up demand and this is the exact oh, yeah, moment. No. You know, we got the 50- actually, actually, Jim, I take that back. You could, for uh, for Port Orleans Riverside, you could pay up to $500 oh, a night my God. during peak season for that. Yeah, so you're telling me that $500 a night isn't enough to skip a couple of lines? No. Whoo! Yeah, I mean, Disney's got some very good marketing folks, but I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know that you can sell that. That's yeah. <laughs> a difficult thing to do. We've just been hearing in the past week or two that the Disneyland Forward plan—they've actually been meeting with folks in the local Anaheim community, building yeah. up support for this expansion. You know, where both right. Disneyland and DCA will expand, right. had yeah. have additional capacity. And it's like Guardians Cosmic Rewind opens this week, and we're hearing about Tron Light Cycle Run opening in December or thereabouts. But it's like, what after that, Len? No, there's nothing. That's the thing. I mean. Think of, think about how much capacity they they essentially have to build a new headliner ride, two or three at each park, mm-hmm. basically delivering one every other year. Oh god, yeah. With at least three simultaneous large attractions being built in three of the four parks mm-hmm. in any given year, and I don't I don't know if they can do it. No, and it was benign neglect. It was. I mean, at least for Epcot, it's it, it was it's not Chapek's fault. Mm-hmm. It was it was squarely Iger's fault. Yeah. For not not investing, and you could argue the same thing too for the studios, right? That yeah, they you know they opened Toy Story Land and they opened mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge, but they took away a set of attractions to do so, and they haven't really replaced them uh, in the same way, mm-hmm. right? And for example, like it's great that there's a Mickey Mouse short mm-hmm. theater in the studios now, but that's a minor attraction with a seven minute film that is essentially not repeatable. Like once you've seen it, you've oh, seen yeah. it, right? No, no, absolutely. But and I hate to go back, you know, all the way back to Monster Sound Show, mm-hmm. but Monster Sound Show was a longer, more elaborate, more interesting attraction. Mm-hmm. And because there was audience participation, mm-hmm. it did two things. Number one, there was always the chance mm-hmm. if you hadn't been picked before, mm-hmm. if you went back, yeah. you would get picked. And that's a vastly dis- different experience when you get picked. But number two, even if you didn't get picked, mm-hmm. the fact that there's some audience participation and the audience managed to screw things up in different ways every time mm-hmm. to to hilarity, I might add, because mm-hmm. it was hilarious to watch them do it. Yep. That also made the ride funnier, mm-hmm. or the attraction funnier, mm-hmm. right? So you could repeat Monster Sound Show in a way that you're not going to repeat Mickey and Minnie's vacation shorts. Also, that seven-minute long movie is a clip show. I mean, it's literally highlights yeah. from like the first two and three seasons of the Mickey Mouse television shorts, which you can watch on Disney Plus any day of the week. I mean, there's a, yeah. a little new footage to sort of stitch it all together. Yeah, there's a little bit of glue. Yeah, but it's basically a jukebox musical, right? Yeah. It's a jukebox cartoon. It's highlights, yeah. I would be surprised if we did not see at D23 mm-hmm. a set of announcements about additional high-capacity headliner rides at, at Walt Disney World. Because if we don't see it at D23, mm-hmm. Disney's going to run the risk here of being very, very far behind Universal when Universal opens Epic Universe in a couple of years. Basically, Disney's got to look at this and say, Disney has to look at the issues with Genie Plus Mm -hmm. and with the upcoming opening of Epic Universe Mm -hmm. and say, we really need to go on a big ride building spree Mm -hmm. here. And if that means closing down certain low capacity rides Mm -hmm. in order to make space for it, right, to rationalize the, the cost or whatever, you know, so be it. But they, they need to make some hard decisions very, very soon. Even stuff that they announced, like the Splash Mountain redo, where's that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to happen in Disneyland. I don't doubt it for a second. Mm-hmm. I will be extremely surprised if Splash Mountain in Walt Disney World gets rethemed to, to Tiana. And my reasoning for that is they announced this thing a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. At this point, we should have very detailed concept art. Mm -hmm. We should have uh, an exceptionally good idea of what each scene in the ride is going to be. And frankly, we should have seen contract announcements from Disney. Things should be going out for 
requests for proposals, RFPs, to vendors to start manufacturing the different ride elements. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that. And we're in year three of that. So something's going on in Walt Disney World Mm -hmm. with that. And and we've talked about the issues with that before. I, I definitely think Tiana deserves a ride in the Magic Kingdom, right? And if Splash Mountain is it, that's fine. The issue that they're running into is the one around theming, mm-hmm. right? But that's a there's a whole separate conversation about that, Jim. Yeah, and and they, you're yeah. not wrong. I mean, again, that this was initially announced in June of 2020, and if this were actually happening, we would have heard from vendors at this point, three years into the announcement, right? Because they because Disney said, if, and correct me if I'm wrong here, mm-hmm. but in 2020, when they announced it, they said, we've been thinking about this for a while, yeah. which means they didn't come up with it last week. No. So that's why I think we're on year three mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Yeah. And that at year three, we should, have, we should have at this point seen more progress. We should have seen a concrete plan for shutting the ride down. Mm-hmm. Our sources should have told us like, okay, you know, these things are out for bid, mm-hmm. the building of the animatronics, the redoing of the ride vehicles and so on, right? Again, I think the issue that they're running into there is the is the theming of Frontierland. We all know that Frontierland runs up until the year 1895, but we know that Princess and the Frog happens in the 1920s, and that 25-year gap is too much to overcome, right? Yeah. You could say that Frontierland includes cars and, and dates up to 1920, but it doesn't really, right? The closing of the American West, mm-hmm. we date to, uh, to around 1895. Just this week, we got the announcement of the first haunted house for this year's Universal Halloween Horror Nights, which was right. the classic Universal Monsters. And Epic Universe opens in 2025. They've got a whole land set aside to celebrate the Universal Monsters. So, I mean, you could right. literally see Universal has a plan. Okay, yeah. We're going to reintroduce these characters. And they did a house last year for Bride of Frankenstein. There's literally rocks in the river they're going to hit on their way to reintroducing these characters in the theme park. And Disney, three years after they announced, yeah, we're putting Tiana in Splash Mountain. How? Did you see the one piece of concept art? Look at that. I think you and I have both heard the same rumor mm-hmm. that one possible way for Disney to get around this mm-hmm. is to focus Splash Mountain on the time before Tiana was princess. Mm-hmm. So like in the years before Tiana was born and just use the other Princess and the Frog characters. Like this is what they were like before they met Tiana, mm. right? Which gets around the eight, the issue of the 1895 date, mm-hmm. but does not fulfill the promise of putting Tiana in the ride. Yeah. So there's all sorts of like, how do you make good on that? And I think you and I have both heard the rumor that you could turn Pecos Bills into Tiana's restaurant. You could. You could. You could, mm-hmm. which is, again, that's not the same thing as a ride, mm-hmm. right? There would be legitimate concerns about representation and uh, equity mm. there, which I think uh, are something that would need to be addressed. And I don't I don't know how Disney gets around that. No, no. There just doesn't seem to be a plan. There seems to be a lot of people reacting to things. It's like, okay, we have a plan. We have a path. It's like, oh, my God, this just happened. You know, it's like. like yeah, exactly. So. so we'll see what happens there. I mean, I think they can figure something out mm-hmm. that makes everybody happy and um, lives up to the promise that they made. It's just going to be interesting to see which compromises they're willing to accept mm-hmm. and what the long-term implications of that. Because if, if Frontierland all of a sudden includes – 1920s New Orleans mm-hmm. with with automobiles. That's a vastly different experience. It's not really Frontierland at that point. There's no frontier anymore, no. right? And they could do it, mm-hmm. but then it breaks the land. And we've seen Disney's willing to do that in Epcot, mm-hmm. right? With Future World, with Galaxy uh, Guardians of the Galaxy going in. Mm-hmm. But are they willing to do it in the Magic Kingdom? And that's that's uh, that's going to be an interesting decision. Anyway, we'll see. Okay, I, I think you totally do it. And again, I think Tiana definitely deserves a ride, right? But picking the right place for it while keeping the theming yeah. is the challenge. I agree. I agree. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim wraps up the story of how the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids influenced so much inside the Disney theme parks. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Look, anyone who's been on this planet for the past two years knows that life can sometimes get a little stressful, and that stress can then manifest itself in some pretty extreme ways. By that I mean you may find yourself under-eating or over-eating, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, or just spending far too much time each day face down on your phone doom-scrolling. Sometimes it's hard to take a step back and recognize the physical symptoms of stress, like headaches, teeth grinding, or even digestive issues. If any of what I've just described sounds kind of familiar, I'm a teeth grinder myself, or so says Nancy, 
Well, here's your reminder that you need to take care of yourself, which perhaps means you should maybe try some therapy. And and if that's really the case, might I suggest BetterHelp? BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy. I, I give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Disney Dish listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all other counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I think when we left off, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie had come out, and it did well. Then there was a sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. That does okay, but not as well. But it's enough to get the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playset into Disney MGM Studios in 1990. But what happened after that? A couple of listeners reached out and just brought up some interesting points about previous installments. So let me jump through this quickly. There were folks out there who experienced the uh, special effects workshop. You know, the, we talked about the, you know, the kids climbing on the fake bee and the, the demonstrating the blue screen. But right. what they wrote in about was that their favorite part of this wasn't necessarily when they then showed the footage inserted into the actual clip from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was what came after, where suddenly here's Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel critiquing the performance of the, the kids. It's like, ah, it looked like they were, the two of them were hanging onto a giant fuzzball. And it's like, and, and what people need to understand is that this whole thing was made possible because Dizzy had made a deal with Roger and Gene back in 86. Prior to this, Ebert and Siskel movie review show, which began as a one-time only special on Chicago Public Television back in 1975. Wow. At this point, it's become a weekly show. It's on PBS channels around the country. But Disney steps in and says, hey, Roger, Gene, we love what you do. How would you like to be the very first syndicated series by Buena Vista Television? will take you nationally. And Gene and Roger agreed to this deal with one condition, that Disney executives cannot interfere in any way in the production of, of at the movies to the point, if Disney Studios makes a stinker of a movie, Ebert and Siskel are allowed to state that opinion loud and clear on a show that the mouse himself produces. And Michael Eiser himself personally guarantees, is like, look, you guys are free to say whatever you like. I'm a fan of At The Movies, so you, you do whatever you want. And so this is why when the Imagineers came a-calling and said, hey, we want to do this funny little 30-second thing at the end of the special effects thing, Ebert and Siskel said, sure, because, they, again, they took their film criticism job seriously, but not themselves seriously. They, right, exactly. There's a difference. Yeah. They got the gag. Likewise, there were a number of Disney dish listeners who wrote in to say that in talking about the movie set adventure, that I had neglected to mention their favorite aspect of the area, which was that slide that was made to look like a Kodak film canister with a piece of film sticking out of it. Right, yeah. And so they were like, well, where does that come from? Did Kodak actually sponsor the movie set adventure? And it's like, well, no. 
Disney had signed a 15-year-long deal with Eastman Kodak in April of 89, just like days before Disney MGM opens. And so that Kodak-themed slide, that was actually kind of a freebie on Disney's part. I mean, this 15-year deal was crazy far-reaching, Len. It was Kodak and Disney in the television space. It was Kodak in the movie space and also in the parks. So one of the very first things that the Imagineers begin working on after they've signed this new participant deal with Kodak is the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure. And so it was almost done to show the executives back in Rochester, New York, to say, look how much we love you. Yes. Come down to the parks. We have a giant reel of Kodak film that people can slide down. Okay, but that's that's not bad, right? That's not a bad tie-in. The goodwill ran out a couple of years later when the Imagineers came a knocking and said, oh, by the way, it's time to redo the Journey into Imagination Pavilion. And the folks in Rochester were like, film cells are falling through the floor due to, to digital, you know, the digital cameras. cameras yeah. We have no money. Figure it out on your own. But again, story for another time. So the original Honey film comes out June of uh, 1989. It does so well that we mentioned Disney copywriting possible titles for follow-up films. And the plan was that every two years going forward, there'd be a new Honey film out in theaters, that they turn this into a full-blown franchise. But then we, we jump ahead to Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which doesn't arrive in theaters till June of 1992. So what happened? What happened to the every two years plan? And it, it turns out writing a script for a Honey, I Shrunk-ish comedy is harder to do than you might think. And Disney tried dozens of drafts before. Finally, it's like, Screw it. Go out and buy a movie that we could turn into a honey movie. And it turns out there was a script out there called Big Baby, which was supposed to be a parody of those Godzilla movies, only instead of... Instead, you know, the, the, a, a radioactive lizard, you know, coming up out of Tokyo Bay and then laying waste to the city. And in this case, it's a 200-foot-tall toddler who yeah. is now disrupting rush hour because he keeps picking up cars off of the freeway and then going, vroom, okay. vroom. But Jim, yeah. Jim, mm-hmm. when Alice was a baby, yep. did you not get a bunch of small toys together, sit down on the floor with your cell phone camera, mm-hmm. and then shoot upwards as she walked towards you like Godzilla? <laughs> Did does not does every pa- new parent not do this once their child starts walking? Like I did with Hannah. As I'm saying this, I kn- I can remember exactly where I was in the house mm-hmm. when I filmed it. I believe this was the Christmas card for 1996. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> so they take the script for Big Baby and they rewrite it so it works in the uh, the Honey I Shrunk realm. They get word that the state of Nevada is now reaching out to movie theaters in Hollywood and offering them a huge tax break if they come and shoot movies in that state. And Disney knew because, again, uh, you know, like the first Honey film, uh, Blew Up the Baby was going to be hugely expensive. So it's like, well, look, could we change the location of the Honey sequel from a generic Southern California suburb to, say, the Las Vegas Strip? Because think about it. You know, there's, there's famous recognized around the world super size icons there, like Vegas Vic, the, the neon cowboy that was sure. st- yeah. fixtured in the Strip since 51. But the only problem is a story that's set in Las Vegas doesn't exactly scream family friendly. Family, family. Yeah. Yeah. They're shooting Honey, I Blew Up the Baby in June of 91. And this is actually when Vegas is beginning its own flirtation with becoming a family-friendly destination. I mean, this is, for example, when the very first casino hotel resort thingy, uh, like the Luxor, gets announced where it's, oh, by the way, we're going to have attractions. We're going to have rides. You know, you, yeah. you should bring I remember it. this. Yeah, I remember when they when they shifted over to family, yeah. family orientation. They started building mini theme parks. That's it, exactly. It, that lasted for like five years. And it's like, oh, back to the adults. Also, there's another issue that's suddenly rising up about Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. And it's that title. They begin focus grouping the film, as they do with all marketing campaigns. And there's a number of people who immediately, oh, that sounds gross and cruel, blowing up a baby. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. They they meant inflated, not exploded. Well, no, 
that's yeah. it. Exactly. All right. You know, but it's just, it's enough of a, of a concern that Disney ends up trashing thousands of posters like that, oh, sure, that have yeah. already been printed for honey. I blew up the baby and then sure. changed to honey. I blew up the kid. Cause it's like, okay, first film is honey. I shrunk the kids. The second film is honey. I blew up the kids. It's connective tissue. And at no time are we blowing up a baby. Okay. To be fair, uh, using kid in both titles is probably more consistent and easy to link and label for the general public That's true. than baby. Okay. Oh, all right. Not bad. Okay. Okay. So film finally comes out, uh, as I mentioned in June of 92, it costs almost twice as much as the original honey. And it only does two thirds of the business, which yeah. to a lot of folks at Disney, I think, as we discussed on the last show, a number of folks are now thinking maybe we did such big business because we had the Roger Rabbit short tummy trouble in front of this thing. Maybe Honey right. isn't the franchise we thought it was. So uh, yeah. the idea of making any further theatrical releases based on the Honey I Shrunk characters is temporarily tabled while executives at the Mouse House regroup the, the debate would, what do we want to do next with the franchise? Were the Imagineers, uh, they have absolutely no qualms when it comes to the Honey, I Shrunk franchise. They've seen how popular the movie set adventure is. They've seen how people react to the Bumblebee thing on the special effects thing. So they're like, no, absolutely. We want to do this more to the point. By August of 1993, the very first accusations are beginning to bubble up about a certain king of pop and his younger fans. And uh, thinking and imagineering is, well, maybe it's time to start working on a replacement to Captain EO. Captain EO, which had been there for a while since, was it the opening or really close to it? Uh, fall of 1986. Okay, so 86, and this is the late 90s? Mid-90s. So Mid-90s. Okay, so 10 years. Okay, and given that Captain EO was being presented in 3D theaters, that you had one in Future World, and, and then in Tomorrowlands around the globe, the thinking yep. was, look, if we make a new movie that features characters from a Disney-produced science-based gimmick comedy, hey, That'd be the yeah. perfect replacement. Jim, I think one of the things that the Imagineers liked about the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids idea mm -hmm. is that it's easily understandable and works great as a 10-minute gag. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. And they got away with it for an entire movie mm -hmm. once. Yeah. But can you do two films based on the same gag? No, you can't. But again, I mean, for 10 minutes as a, as a theme park attraction, yeah, totally, totally works. Absolutely. Okay, so we now jump ahead to the fall of 1993, when our 10-minute long film is in production. There you go. All right. <laughs> so, All right. okay, but Honey, I Shrunk the Audience almost stops before it begins, Lynn. Monty Python vet Eric Idle likes mm -hmm. to tell the story about how one afternoon he walks into a hotel bar in Los Angeles and sees actress Marsha Strassman sitting there nursing a drink. And Eric noticed that Marsha looks a little down, so he asks if he can join her. Anyway, over drinks, he eventually asks Strassman why she looks so depressed. And Marsha, who plays Diane Zielinski, Wayne's wife in the Honey, I Shrunk films, explains that they were supposed to begin shooting Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, the new 3D movie for the, the Disney parks, that morning. But just before shooting was supposed to begin, the actor who was originally supposed to play Nigel Channing drops out. And now the whole project is on hold Ooh. while Disney is scrambling to find a new actor to play the host of, you know, you remember the, the whole gimmick of the, the show was that you're there for the inventor of the year awards. Year awards, yeah. So you need an MC for the show. I mean, literally, the the, this yeah. is the person who drives the show. All right. right and, yeah. and so Eric said they're over streak. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything for the next couple of days. Do you think Disney would consider me for the part? And Marsha literally turns at that point and goes to the bartender, give me the phone. Give me the phone. Exactly. <laughs> I know to call. <laughs> and the very next day, Eric Idle is on the set of Honey, I Shrunk the Audience as director Randall Kleiser. By the way, remember, I said that name would come back. But, you know, he's walking the Monty Python vet through this hugely complicated. I mean, if you remember the film, it's like, first of all, it's, it's the cameras locked down because the whole notion is you're in the audience watching a live stage right. show. 
And so it's like there are no way, you know, there are very few moments in the show where you can actually stop shooting and cut away. I mean, you know, it's these long, continuous shots with, you know, all sorts of practical effects and that sort of thing. I mean, it, Eric gets crazy dropped in the deep end on this thing. But anyway, speaking of which, so again, Randall Kleiser, who actually directed Honey, I, I Blew Up the Baby or, or Blew Up the Kid. Yeah. Uh, the Imagineers like, no, you know what you're doing. Please come back. Shoot the, the thing for the parks. And so anyway, wow. anyway right. the Imagineers are just so thrilled with the job that Eric Idle does that, you know, again, come on over the hill, rescue him at the last minute. They're like, oh, yeah. by the way, you know, we're thinking of turning Nigel Channing into the host of the Imagination Ride. And would you be interested in that? God, there's a there's a joke about Twitter in here somewhere. There we go. <laughs> it's a family show. We're not going to quote Eric. Yeah, no, 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 we're not. Yeah, that, that's a, he he does have kind of a love hate relationship with Disney theme park fans, but yeah. but on the other hand, the Imagineers love him. They they absolutely yeah. love him. But yeah, that's how he became an established fixture at future. I mean, world nature. Anyway, Honey I Shrunk opens at Epcot, November of '94. Proves to be so popular that Oriental Land Company is like, hey, we want a clone of that. So they get that for their Tomorrowland Theater. The Tokyo version, which, by the way, goes by the name of Micro Adventure, opens April of 97. So we'll receive there that the original Disneyland in Anaheim, which is in the process of it doing its second new Tomorrowland, says, hey, we want a clone too. Anaheim goes so well that now Paris raises its hand to say, we would like that as well. So March of 99, they get their version and then land. All four versions of Honey Shrunk the Audience then screen continuously at theme parks around the globe for the next 11 years. That's a good run. Absolutely. For something like that. That's fantastic. May of 2010, within one month, all four versions of this 3D attraction shutter. And yeah. this was done because Michael Jackson had died in June of 2009. And the Walt Disney Company believes strongly that death is the ultimate disinfectant. And yeah. it's sort of like, okay, a sufficient amount of time has gone by. Hey, we're going to put Captain EO back in the parks. For like a limited run. Right? They said, And they said it was a limited run. Yeah, right? which turned out to be several years, but what the heck. But again, that's summer of 2010 they started doing that. Now, anyway, back to the film franchise. May of 97, uh, Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment tries its hand at a Honey film. They do a home premiere called Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves, or should be We Shrunk Ourselves, which marked Rick Moranis' last appearance as Wayne Zielinski. Then in September of that same year, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, a debuts in syndication. Our long adventure comedy, uh, three seasons of this get produced with Peter Scolari, formerly Tom Hanks's co-star from Bosom Buddies. See, you, I, I go with Wings, or, or sorry, Newhart. Well, Newhart. I, w I was going to go with Newhart. Also, he was in a couple episodes of The Love Boat. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so, I, I, because I'm, I'm rewatching the show, I have to I have to bring up every single person who was ever in, in The Love Boat. What is the line out of Casablanca? Everybody comes to Rick's. Everybody comes to, every, everybody comes to the Pacific Princess. There we go. All right, so... so 66 episodes of that produced. Uh, in fact, the last one aired 18 years ago tomorrow, Len, May 20th, 2000. So where does this leave the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids film franchise? Well, May of 2019, we learned that Shrunk, a Honey, I Shrunk the movie sequel, is in the works. Josh Gad is going to be playing Wayne Zielinski's son, Nick. And Josh is a talented guy because he actually went to Rick Moranis, who has been retired for decades yeah. at this point, and persuaded him to come back to play Wayne again. So it's going to be, you know, the father and son, you know, having a, a, you know, shrinking adventure. Not only that, he persuaded Joe Johnston, the guy who directed the original Honey, I Shrunk more than 30 years ago to come back and direct the sequel. In fact, Joe was down in Atlanta in March of 2020. He was actually directing. <laughs> March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There, go ahead. There we go. I mean, he is literally, he's on the set. He's directing the, the construction of the sets for Shrunk when the word comes down that we have to pause production. You know, we everybody has to go home. And so production got suspended. And since that time, a lot of folks are like, what happens next? And I am happy to reveal that Shrunk is still a going concern. It will, in fact, go before the cameras next year. 
And if all goes according to plan, uh, you will get to see Josh and Rick on Disney Plus sometime in 2024. And I don't know if yet if Joe is coming back, but I dearly hope so. Because, again, this is a special effects master. And I, I would imagine, you know, if he's behind the camera driving the bus there, it's going to be an amazing film. Okay, Jim, I'm just going to put this out there. And I know Josh Gad listens to the show, so this is this is my direct appeal to him. Mm-hmm. If there is a Josh Gad, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas reprise of Take Off, oh. I will donate blood to whatever charity Josh Gad wants. Oh. I would pay money to hear that song. Oh, what is the Canadian rock group that it's a beauty of a place? I, you know, the, the, it's, a, it's the song is Take Off. Yeah, and the, the album is The Great White North. I don't know, yeah. no, 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 no. I, I know it well. I wasted many hours listening to it. But who's the vocalist on there? So it's it's Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, yep. and then Giddy Lee from there Rush, we go. who is still there alive. There we go. No, no, no. That's it. Uh, that would be my only caveat that is that is that not the dream lineup for that song no, you, you gotta get any right back you gotta get you gotta get Rick you gotta have dave thomas because dave does the sort of like the deeper voice on it yep. and then i mean getty lee is iconic but that had, had josh gad in oh, oh god <laughs> for christmas uh, do it as a charity single i'm there oh I'm there. oh josh call me call me we'll make this work there we go <laughs> I don't know what I'm adding to this. I don't know. Josh Gad needs to call me. There we go. So, <laughs> whatever. Okay. Like, we should. We should. We should do this. I think we should start a Twitter campaign. I All right. totally agree. <laughs> so. Well, that's fantastic, Jim. That uh, that's great because it gives us something to look forward to. Yes, yes, it does. And so many people, when you say "Honey, I Shrunk the Audience," they just immediately go, "Oh, the mice!" And in fact, just remember that moment of. You know, you're sitting back in the theater, and 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 the imagination did such a brilliant job because it was the first. You know, you saw the first row reacting, then the second row, then the third row, and you know, yeah, and yeah, it was great. The, the timing on it was exceptional. Just yeah. killer, 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 killer. Yes. So. Great story, Jim. Really good, uh, really good. And that's not, you know, it's a it's a great story about an attraction that that a lot of us have, have forgot about. And but but it's a super interesting development. Glad to do it, and again, it's nice to see that this franchise might be coming around again. It's true. It's really good. I'm looking forward to it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, we celebrate the anniversary of the debut of the Walter Cronkite narration at Spaceship Earth, and what Epcot's first makeover was attempting. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be asking you to sign a petition lobbying the FDA to update its four basic food groups at the Buffalo Taco, Beer, Tequila, and Mac and Cheese Festival on Saturday, June 11th, 2022 from 1130 to 9 p.m. I love, Jim, how the organizers are optimistically assuming anyone will be able to read a clock by 9 p.m.? (laughs) <laughs> At the Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park on Prime Street in beautiful downtown Buffalo, New York. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.